The purple represents the royalty and the solemnity of Jesus, who is our king. Purple has always been a kingly color, and it represents who Jesus is and what he has done for us when he came into our world to save us from our sins. Marilyn's returning to the nursery. Bill's returning to his seat. And it is a privilege for me today to introduce to you Daniel and Sky Scott. This today begins the week of prayer for international missions. And Daniel and Sky are missionaries with our Southern Baptist International Mission Board serving in Zambia, South Africa. What makes them so relevant to us is that Daniel is a Tiftonite. He grew up at in Tifton, went to Tift County High School and to ABAC and to the University of Georgia. Uh, upon graduating, became a loan officer for a brief time, but God's tug was already on his heart, so he ended up at Southwestern Seminary where uh, he met Skye, who was attending uh, Oklahoma Baptist University. They felt God's call to missions and are in Zambia now where they have been for seven years. About 18 months ago, their daughter Riverbell was born. Riverbell is kind of a combination of the Old South and of some African uh, imagery, I think. And uh, also, they have a son on his way in April, the month of April. So their family is growing physically and spiritually in Zambia. So Daniel and Skye, come and share with us what's, what God is doing through you in that, that African nation. Help me welcome them. morning. I think you're all a little more awake than the first service. Nitumela Kalibizo Landati ni Lemopelusi Jesu Christe. That's, uh, I greet you in the name of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, and that's the language that we speak there. And um, coming from South Georgia, that's a mouthful. So uh, it took me a couple of years to learn that. <laughs> yeah, I grew up here in Tiff County, and um, I was real involved at Northside Baptist Church, and uh, I was actually, I think my parents took me there a couple weeks after I was born, and I accepted Christ there during a revival at the age of eight. Uh, like I said, I was involved in a youth group, and then um, in high school, I was at a youth evangelism conference, and I began sensing that God wanted me to do some kind of a ministry. And at the time, uh, I, I I kind of had an idea it was mission work, but um, I, I kind of didn't want to acknowledge that because I knew if I, if I accepted that call that God would probably send me to Africa as a punishment. <laughs> so um, I kind of ran from that a little while, and I went off to University of Georgia and, uh, to get a proper education there, and except for what happened yesterday, wasn't any part of that. Um, <laughs> And then um, I kind of got sidetracked, you know, I kind of got caught up in what the world has to offer, and I wanted to do my own thing and my own plans, and I was a loan officer for a few years, and I just kind of go in my own way and had my life planned out, and I knew in the back of my mind God was saying, you know, I hadn't, I'm not done with you. And so God really got a hold of me and started convicting me of some things and breaking me of things, and I finally came to that part of my life where I said, okay, God, I'll go where you want me to go, and I'll do what you want me to do. And at that point in my life, I knew 
that God had prepared me, and I knew it would no longer be a punishment if he wanted to send me to Africa, but it'd be more like a, a privilege. So now we work in, a, in, in Zambia with a, a tribe of people called the Lozi people. And they historically, they comprise of about 24 smaller tribes, and they, they all fall under the umbrella of being called Lozi people. And uh, they live in the western part of Zambia. Their population is estimated to be around a million people. And Sky and I, we cover an area, um, it's about the size of the state of Georgia, trying to reach those million people. So it's a pretty big area, if you can imagine trying to cover the size of the state of Georgia. Uh, They live in a really rural area, and the the rest of Zambia kind of looks on the western part of Zambia as like the the forgotten side, the bush side of Zambia, Um, maybe the redneck side of Zambia. I don't know. They're kind of off in the corner. And the Lozi historically are a cattle people. Um, they, They count their wealth in having cows. And because the area, traditionally, they were kind of hunter-gatherer type people, and traditionally, um, they did that for, you know, to make their living and to eat. But now, um, the animals are pretty much poached to extinction in that area, and they've had to kind of trade in hunting for farming. And so it's, it's been a transitional part of their culture. Um, and today, the Lozi, they farm multiple small tracts of land around what we would call floodplains. And um, they're real sandy, and they plant, you know, they grow peanuts and corn and pumpkins, sort of like here in South Georgia. As I looked into my friend Alan's eyes, I saw the loss and the confusion and the, the despair in his eyes. You see, just last week when we were away from home, his wife, Masalele, had given birth to her 11th child. Um, After hours of a difficult labor, she finally delivered on the reed mat in front of their mud and thatch home. The tiny baby boy that she gave birth to returned to Jesus almost as quickly as he'd come. And so here is my friend Alan looking at me, telling me this story, his voice filled with grief. Why do you think your baby died? I asked Alan. And he looked at me cautiously with suspicion. Could he really honestly tell me what he thought? Alan is a believer in Jesus, but that doesn't erase the years of animistic belief that have molded his view of the world and why things happen. You see, Alan and his wife knew that their baby had died because the father-in-law had been angry at them, and he had cursed them. He had witched them and caused the baby's death, or so they thought. You see, the Lozi people do not view the world in two separate realms like we do. We think of the physical things in one realm and the spiritual things being totally different. But to the Lozi person, everything that happens physically is the result of some spiritual curse or blessing. And the spirits... The ancestors are all very active in the lives of the Lozi people, or so they believe. The Lozi people don't have a hard time adding Jesus into their beliefs, into their lives. After all, they want to cover all their bases. They need all the good spirits they can get to help them combat the bad ones. What's hard for a Lozi person is to leave behind all the fear they have of the evil spirits. It's hard for them to stop putting their trust 
and charms and incantations and the witch doctors dancing. What's hard for them is to trust only in the name of Jesus Christ. The Lozi are proud of their history and their heritage, and because they've always been ruled by a Lozi king called the Latunga, and because they've conquered other tribes in the region, and, and, and those other tribes have had to become subservient to them, then they consider themselves like a royal-type people. Uh, they've often talked uh, about even breaking away from Zambia and becoming their own Lozi nation. And however, their, their strong tribal identification is royalty. It makes them proud, and it, it makes them almost arrogant. And because of that, their vanity, it makes them complacent in their work sometimes, and even condescending to other tribes and to new outside ideas, including the truth of Jesus. They're in no way hostile to us or to the gospel, but they also don't see the real need for the good news of Jesus Christ. And like all of us, the Lozi desperately need God to humble them, to help them see the seriousness of their sin and to raise them up to be a royal priesthood for the king of kings. There's always a snake story when you talk about Africa, isn't there? A monstrous-sized cobra raised up in front of this small pagan boy ready to strike. And in that instant of terror, the boy remembered something his mother had told him. If you're ever in real danger, if there's ever no other spirit or charm that you can call on to help... Then she said, I remembered that as a small child, a missionary told me, trust in the name of Jesus. The name of Jesus has power. And so here was this small boy confronted with this huge snake, and he remembered his mother's words, and he called out, Jesus, Jesus. And instantly, that snake of unearthly proportions turned and slithered away. That story is from the 1980s, and that man, actually, that little boy became a man who became a great evangelist that led lots of people to the throne of God. But as I look out day by day at the hundred small dark faces in the African sun, I wonder if the Bible stories I teach at their schools are anything more than just a convenient break in their school day. You see, over there on one side of the room is Anange and Maria, these are daughters of Dr. Green. Dr. Green is our traditional witch doctor. He's also our closest neighbor. On the other side of the room sit three sisters, Nandila and Dorica and Zita. Their mother, Namoka, is a female witch doctor. As I look into their empty eyes, I wonder what they think. I know that they help their mother with her dark potions and her magic charms. So what do they think of my Bible stories? What does it mean when I teach them the words of John 3.16? What does that mean to them? Do the demons that inhabit their villages steal away the seeds of truth I'm trying to plant? Twice a week, I visit two different primary schools, and children's grade 1 through 7 crowd into tiny, dark classrooms. There's no electricity here. No lights for them to read their assignments by. No air conditioning to break the blistering heat of the African sun. But the Lozi children don't seem to mind. After all, they've never had electricity. They've never had air conditioning. They don't know what they're missing. But what's more sad than them not having electricity or air conditioning is that they also have never had their names mentioned 
to the Father in heaven. Most of these children have never heard of someone named Jesus who died for their sin. And so week after week, I go to these little schools and I teach Bible stories. I write songs in Lozy to help them remember their Bible stories. And I pray. I pray for these children. What's happening inside their tiny little tender hearts? I don't know. I wish I did. But faith is the evidence of things hoped for. That's what the Bible tells us. And what is my hope? My hope is that as these children go through their lives and everything else in their lives fail them, that they will remember a missionary told them one time, the name of Jesus has power. This may be my, <clears throat> this may be my last time to hike this 16 miles to the village. I kept thinking this over and over in my mind as I made the eight-hour hike up what we call the Loom Bay River with my 30-pound backpack. We'd made the trip about 10 times before, but this time things had changed. It began with the first hike to Muchua several years ago when I met the chief of Muchua, and his name was actually Muchua. <laughs> he reminded me of Morgan Freeman. He had graciously given us permission to share the word of God with his people and had even gone as far as giving us a piece of land, about an acre, to put our tents on. And it was kind of a place of our own to show how serious we were about coming and and teaching the word of God to the area. And over the course of the next several years, we got to know him and the people there in the village of Muchua as we taught God's word. Um, We were again and again welcomed by the chief and... That rarely happens out in the western province. But this time as we hiked, I was reflecting on the news that we had received that the chief had been attacked and killed. And I knew that my friend would not be there when we got there. And I knew that life can be short and the opportunities to hear the gospel are very limited. I also knew that the time, the last time that we had visited Muchwa, We had the opportunity to share the word of God in his village and specifically to him and his immediate family. He had heard the truth of what God's word says before his final days of life on this earth. And I can only hope that he had made the decision to follow Jesus. So as I pushed on through the sand, I realized, yeah, I would make this trip again. Because there are many more lazy people who haven't heard the good news of Jesus. We were standing on the sidewalk in Zambia with some Tiftonites um, from Northside, Jeremy Jones, Mr. Bill Daniels, and Mr. Jack Thompson. We were all standing there watching the African, busy African market. And out of nowhere, this man approaches Daniel, a stranger. And he walks straight up to Daniel. He looks into Daniel's eyes and he quotes... Psalms 127.1. Unless the Lord builds the house, those who labor, labor in vain. And the man turned and walked off. To this day, we don't know who that man was or where he had come from. But obviously, he had a message for us from the Lord. Just weeks before this messenger had approached us in the market, we had started building our house in the bush of Africa. What we thought would take about three months morphed into 18 months of living in a tent while Daniel and the Lozy men struggled to build us a home in the bush of Africa. But our story has a happy ending. Um, Daniel and the Lozy men that helped him did not labor in vain. 
Because you, First Baptist Tipton, even though you didn't know it, were giving to missions and praying for missions, God made sure that our house was built in the bush of Africa. Um, the labor was not in vain. Our house was built on stilts beside the flooding river waters in the deep African bush. But the building in western Zambia is not finished. For seven years now, Daniel and I have been building day by day, conversation by conversation, crisis by crisis, we've been building our lives into the framework of the Lozy people's lives. Our neighbors have slowly, cautiously let us into their lives and become our friends. We've worked alongside them. We've helped plant their seeds in their fields. We've helped weed their fields. We've helped bring in the harvest. Um, I've helped the women pound the cornmeal, and I've helped them carry water, although I haven't quite mastered doing it on my head like they can do it. We've seen the barrels of homemade beer that they make when they observe their young girls coming of age. We've heard their very first cries when they receive the news that one of their family members has died. And when my own grandfather passed away and I wasn't able to return to America to grieve with my family, my lozy women friends came, and they sat with me and grieved with me. And so slowly, surely, the Lord has built our relationships in Zambia. We've built trust, we've built rapport, we've built friendships. But the building in western Zambia is not finished. After years of paying our dues, so to speak, we have finally gained the opportunity, the privilege, to speak into their lives. And so we've begun building a foundation of biblical stories. At first, only the women were interested. But then slowly, the men started hanging around the edges of the reed mats. And starting at creation, we just told Bible stories. Story upon story, layering the chronological truth of God's word. First, Adam and Eve. Then Noah. Then the stories of Abraham, the stories of Moses, the stories of King David, Elijah. And finally, after months of teaching, we got to the stories of Jesus. We wrote songs to help our lozy friends remember these stories. Our trusted friend, Alan, and our lozy father, Alan and his wife, they were members of this group of seekers. And in July, right before we came home to America, this group of, of seekers decided that they wanted to become followers of Jesus. They wanted to become Christians, and they wanted to start a church. And so that last day on, our, on the river before we started back to America, and we got out our hammers again, and we helped our lozy friends put up a sign for their new church. So Litoma Baptist Church in Zambia has a sign. But the church building has yet to be built. And so the building in western Zambia is not quite finished. Even though you may not have realized it, and even though you may not have known us, your prayers and support enabled our home to be built on the river. Your prayers enabled our relationships with the Lozi people to be built. And now we need your prayers and support again. Yes, the church needs a permanent indigenous church structure. But the Lozi people can do it. They have the resources. They have the know-how. What do we need from you? We need your prayers. We need your support. Because more important than any church building is that the lives of these new believers would be built on the solid rock of Jesus Christ. Litoma, this word that they have chosen for their new church, it means to stand firm. 
It's actually the name of a, an island in the middle of the river. To Stand Firm Baptist Church. It's a pretty solid name, I think. So will you pray with us that the Lozy believers will stand firm on the promises of Jesus Christ? And as you pray for the Lozy, also pray and ask what God would want you to give this year to help support overseas missions. When you give to the Lottie Moon Christmas offering, uh, you're making it possible for us to live in Zambia. Your gifts and offerings provide vehicles so that we can cross the floodplains and the, and the rivers and reach the vast remote villages across western Zambia. When you give, it provides us a place to live, a house, so we can be close to the people that we work with. The money that you sacrifice supports the Lozy Bible College that takes place three times a year, and it provides theological training for those Lozy pastors and lay leaders. And your gifts are the reality behind our ministry budget. So we want to thank you for giving. And we ask you to please keep giving because it increases, it increases the odds. So what are the odds? Bad news came to one of my workers that was helping me when I was building our house in the bush of Zambia. Foster had a distraught look on his face uh, as he could not believe the news that he had just heard that his brother had been struck and killed by lightning. Now, 30 minutes earlier, we were all out building and we heard the deafening thunder close by that resulted as the immediate after of the, the lightning strike that hit his brother while he was sitting in his hut. There are over 1 billion people living in Africa. And if you take the number of IMB missionaries and divide that number into 1 billion, there are about a million people for every IMB missionary. And according to the U.S. National Weather Service, the odds of getting struck by lightning are 1 in 700,000. So a lost person in Africa would have a better chance of getting struck by lightning than hear the good news from an IMB missionary. That's not very good odds. So First Baptist Church, we're asking you to either join us in prayer or join us in person. But the Lord wants you in His work. Thank you very much. We're glad to have Daniel and Sky with us this morning, and there may be others that are guests here with us today. And what we'd like to do is like to welcome all of you. We're going to take a moment right now. If you're our guest, we'd ask for you to remain seated. While those that attend here regularly will, will rise, they'll greet each other and they'll greet you. And while you're seated, the ushers will also be giving you some information about our church. So y'all stand up and greet each other. Hi, I'm Wayne Whittle, disciple of Jesus Christ, member of First Baptist Church here in Tifton, Georgia. And we'd love to have you come join us this morning. I invite you, no, I encourage you to come be with us on Sunday morning. Brother, I'd submit to you that there are three components to our relationship with God the Father through Jesus Christ, His Son. The first is worship. It says in the Bible that Jesus was a church gourd. Do you know that? In Luke chapter 4, verse 16, He says, 
He went to Nazareth where he had been brought up and on the Sabbath day he went into the synagogue as was his custom. If Jesus saw it fit to come to church, maybe we should too make it a matter of importance. The second component is discipleship. After all, it wasn't Jesus and the 12 dudes, it was Jesus and the 12 disciples. Remember the familiar verse, Matthew 28, 19, he said, Therefore go and make disciples. There's nothing like being in a small group discussion like Sunday school class where you're sharing with one another, praying for one another. There's one thing we all have in common, and that's challenges or problems. The third component is service. You know, the moment that you get saved, God equips you as a believer with spiritual gifts, all to provide ministry, to edify Him. So if you're missing either one of those, worship, discipleship, or service, I'd submit to you that you're not living up to that abundant life that Jesus promises. We'd love to have you come join us. Visit our website at fbctipton.org or give us a call. We've got someone standing by. If you need prayer or if you'd like more information, it's 382-6063. We hope to see you Sunday. we got a chair waiting on you. Wonderful music about the birth of Jesus uh, this afternoon or this evening at 7. Um, Ethan Hyde has the Happy Club bag. Is that right? Here's Ethan right here. Let me see what's in that bag, buddy. Got baptized last last Sunday, didn't you? Yeah, Ethan just got baptized. That's a little case here. And that looks like a presidential seal on the front. Oh, it says World Trade Center, lost but not forgotten, September 11th, 2001. And it's a little coin. looks like a minted coin, boys and girls. And it has a picture of the two towers on one side. And it says, God bless America. And on the other side, the Twin Towers, Land of the Free, September 11th, 2001. Ethan, have you, did you go to the, the World Trade Center site in New York, or did your parents go and bring this back? You think so? Mm-hmm. Why did you bring this coin? Is there something special that means to you? No special reason? Okay. No special, but, but it's important anyway, Ethan, because this reminds us God bless America and the Twin Towers. And it says, gone, lost, but not forgotten. We will never forget what happened on September 11th, 2001. And things like this help us to remember. And boys and girls, in the same way, we'll never forget what happened in Bethlehem 2,000 years ago. 2,011 years ago, somebody special was born. Who was that? Jesus. And every Christmas we remember and we celebrate his birth. Just as for the Twin Towers, we remember and we're sad about what happened there. So there are ways we have of remembering important events. We remember the Twin Towers for the the tragedy that happened on September 11th, a little over 10 years ago. And we remember what happened 2011 years ago in a stable in Bethlehem where God's own son was born. Ethan, thank you for sharing this with us. That's a wonderful way to remember 2011, September 11th, or 2001, September 11th. And, and uh, we have ways of remembering Jesus' birth, too. So let's pray and, and thank God for reminding us of important events. Dear God, pray with me. Dear God, Dear God thank, you thank you for Jesus' birth, for Jesus birth and, the opportunity we have and the opportunity we have to remember it. 
In his name we pray. In his name we pray. Amen. 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 Thank you, Ethan, for sharing that, that precious coin. Yes, Miss Sabina? Sarah Lee. Where's Sarah Lee? Will you take the Happy Club bag and bring back something special next week? Boys and girls, you can go to children's worship with Miss Sabina if you like. Lift up your hands, no need to mourn. His hand stretched out still for unto us a child is born. His promise to fulfill.
child that was born there is the king of kings and the Thank you, Gwen. I'm going to ask you to stand as we sing hymn number 87, Joy to the World, the Lord has come. We'll sing the first and last stanza. Will you please stand as we sing? Our gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for the many blessings that you have bestowed upon each and every one of us. Lord, this time of the year when you sent your Son to die on the cross to forgive us of our sins, we just give thanks and honor to you. And Lord, the many blessings that you have bestowed on on us as a nation, and Lord, we just lift this nation up and ask you to give oversight to our leadership and return it back to the nation it was once that had a strong belief in Jesus Christ. Lord, as we receive the tithes and offerings this morning, we just ask that you bless them and, and to bring honor and glory to you in uh, everything that you do. We ask this in your name. Amen.
Methinks I saw the gates of heaven. That's just a foretaste of this afternoon at three and this evening at seven. Adding to our choir the First Methodist Choir and the ABAC Chamber Singers, 110 voices and an orchestra, and um, it is glorious. And I hope you have plans to come to one of those two presentations this afternoon or this evening. We're in a preaching tour of of the Bible, and we're in the book of Jeremiah. And uh, there's a passage in Jeremiah where, to me, he's like a missionary. And this is the beginning of the week of prayer for international missions. We've heard Daniel and Skye, and it's an opportunity for us to think about what they might be going through, even as did Jeremiah. In Jeremiah chapter 8, verse 18, through chapter 9, verse 3. Jeremiah is prophesying. The word of the Lord. My grief is beyond healing. My heart is sick within me. Hark the cry of the daughter of my people from the length and breadth of the land. Is the Lord not in Zion? Is her king not in her? 
Why have they provoked me to anger with their graven images and with their foreign idols? The harvest is past, the summer is ended, and we are not saved. For the wound of the daughter of my people is my heart wounded. I mourn, and dismay has taken hold on me. Is there no balm in Gilead? Is there no physician there? Why then has the health of the daughter of my people not been restored? Oh, that my head were waters and my eyes a fountain of tears, that I might weep day and night for the slain of the daughter of my people. Listen to this. Oh, that I had in the desert a wayfarer's lodging place, that I might leave my people and go away from them. For they are all adulterers, a company of treacherous men. They bend their tongue like a bow. Falsehood and not truth has grown strong in the land. They proceed from evil to evil. They do not know me, says the Lord. Shall we pray? Father, help us this day to come to know you and to proclaim you from the mountaintops this Christmas season. We pray for our missionaries like Daniel and Skye and and others, uh, Chris and and Katie Knowles and and Ashley and Percy and, and others who are in Africa and in China and in Asia and in Uh, South America. And Father, we pray for our home missionaries and we pray for our own neighborhoods. We pray for Tift County that everyone here might hear the name of Jesus and not just hear it, but be convicted in their hearts and respond to you and bow and confess that you are Lord to the glory of God the Father. Let us not rest Until that glorious day, in Jesus' name we pray, amen. The message is entitled, When Can We Stop? And there's a brief outline in your worship bulletin this morning. The simple answer to this question, when can we stop, is never. Never until Jesus comes again or until he takes us home to be with him. We have a commission to go and make disciples of all nations. And even when we are discouraged or depressed and feel like quitting and throwing in the towel, we cannot stop because Jesus didn't give us that option. Jeremiah was known as the weeping prophet. The weeping prophet. Listen to this in in chapter 9, verse 1. That my head were waters, my eyes a fountain of tears, that I might weep day and night for the slain of the daughter of of my people. Jeremiah got his call in 626 B.C. And in 586, about 40 years later, the nation of Judah fell to the Babylonians. So it was in that 40-year period leading up to Judah's eventual fall and destruction that, that Jeremiah came on the scene and he was calling them to repentance, warning them of their future, predicting their doom. But nobody paid any attention to him because nobody wants to hear uh, someone just pronouncing doom, so they ignore him. And as he carries out his task, Jeremiah is alienated from his friends, he is antagonized by his enemies, and he is afflicted by the hostility of everyone who hears his message. This is the last 40 years of Judah's decline and fall. So it was a tragic time for Jeremiah to be a prophet. And it's like he sees this train wreck that is getting ready to happen. And he cries out to warn the nation, but they will not listen. And so he can do nothing to avert the inevitable disaster that is impending. 
His, his message is a series of rebukes and pleadings to a nation that he sees continuously backsliding. And God spoke through Jeremiah to give a final warning of judgment. And when Judah failed to heed it and respond to it, that was it. Judah fell. And the exile of the Jews to Babylon was God's punishment on Judah for their sinfulness. So now you know why Jeremiah was called the weeping prophet. He saw what was happening and he couldn't stop it. He couldn't avert the disaster that was coming toward them. This passage this morning describes a period of deep depression for Jeremiah. He's ready to stop and throw in the towel and quit and walk away. As a matter of fact, it says in verse 2, I wish I had in the desert a wayfarer's lodging place. He wishes he had a cabin out in the desert somewhere that he could go and seclude himself in and and live out his remaining days. He would be happier there than he would be trying to preach to this stiff-necked people who will not hear and will not respond. He wanted to be a hermit and abandon the call that God had placed upon him. And as Daniel and Skye were talking, I can't help but wonder if sometimes our missionaries don't feel like that. Ready to stop, wishing that there were a wayfarer's lodge, a cabin somewhere in the desert to which they could escape. And it occurs to me that you and I have a mission too. We have a calling. And God has called us and sent us to tell the good news of Jesus Christ to the world. And so the question comes, when can we stop? And the answer is, we cannot stop. Because, first of all, the inward drive. We can't stop because God has called us and he has given us a command to go and make disciples of all nations. And that is a mission, that is a command that does not have an ending to it. It does not have a final stopping point until all the world hears and knows that Jesus Christ is Lord or until he comes again, whichever comes first. Jeremiah's father was a priest at Anathoth, so he grew up in a home and learned about commitment from God. As a matter of fact, it says in the very beginning, before he was even born in Jeremiah 1.4, Now the word of the Lord came to me saying, Behold, I formed you in the womb. Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I consecrated you. I appointed you a prophet to the nations. Jeremiah was called before God before he was even born. Even when he felt inadequate, even when the people he was preaching to were indifferent and no one seemed to care, Jeremiah could not stop because he was inexplicably driven with this inward burning drive that refused to let him quit. As a matter of fact, in his own words, this beautiful phrase in Jeremiah 20 verse 9 If I say I will not mention him or speak any more in his name, there is in my heart, as it were, a burning fire shut up in my bones, and I am weary with holding it in, and I cannot. Even if Jeremiah wanted to quit speaking the word of the Lord, he said it was as if it were inside him a fire burning within him, a fire in his bones, and if he tried to to close his mouth, he would explode because of the fire that was building within him. William Carey is known as the great missionary to India. As a matter of fact, was the founder probably of the modern missionary movement. William Carey grew up in India and was a cobbler, a shoemaker. But he had the heart, the whole world on his heart. 
And he followed the the explorations of a great English navigator, Captain James Cook. And every time Captain Cook wrote a report back about where he was traveling and exploring, William Carey kept on his wall a handmade map. And Carey would plot on that map the nations that Cook explored and the peoples and the languages and the religions and the animals and the plants, the vegetation of all the different countries. And then out of leather that he used in his cobbler shop, he he fashioned a globe. And as he turned it in his hand, he prayed for the people of Africa and China and Asia and all the islands in in the Pacific that had never even heard the gospel. Because William Carey had in his bones, he had a fire burning for lost men and he was concerned for them and he prayed for them and eventually God made it possible for William Carey to travel to India where he could preach and reach the lost people of that land for God. Our challenge is to go into all the world and preach the gospel to every nation and we cannot stop, first of all, because of this inward drive, a fire in our bones. The second reason we cannot stop is because of the outward need There is a need around us. We can't go to a wayfarer's lodge or a a cabin because of the outward need. That's what Jeremiah saw as he looked around Jerusalem and he saw the starry state of their spiritual condition. Jeremiah said, I cannot quit. They were wasting their lives. They were headed down a path that would lead to destruction. And so Jeremiah could not stop. He could not close his mouth even though he wanted to because he was compelled by the need around him to keep going, to keep preaching. And the need of the world around us is is just as evident in our day as it was in Jeremiah's day. A teacher asked one one of her young students in class one day, what shape the world was? And the girl said, little girl said, my daddy says the world is in the worst shape it has ever been. She was right, broken homes, drug-ruined lives, temptation, sin, evil are rampant in our land. Never has a generation had a greater need for God than ours. Our nation is not that different from Judah. And I could be standing before you this morning preaching the same message that Jeremiah preached in his day. I could be saying, you're headed for destruction, America. Stop, repent, turn to God, or judgment will surely follow. And we hear somebody preaching like that and we call them a crazy fanatic. I guess that's why Jeremiah's people called him that and wrote him off. But he could not stop. Our challenge is to proclaim the good news to the lost people of the world. And it reminds me of a parable that Jesus told about a hundred sheep, a shepherd that had a hundred sheep. And 99 were safe in the fold, but one was missing. What did he do? He didn't sit back and sleep that night saying, well, I've got 99 here. That shepherd did not rest until he went out and find that one, found that one lost sheep and brought him back until all were safe in the fold. And so it is with us. The deed is great because all are not yet safely home and in the fold. So we can't stop because we have this inward fire in our bones, this drive. We can't stop because of the outward need. And finally, we can't stop because we have the upward answer to the outward need, propelling us with an inward drive. 
Jesus is the answer. It doesn't matter what your problem is. It doesn't matter what your question is. Jesus is the only answer. Every spiritual need can be met by this one who is called the bread of life. He will enter into you and change you radically, dramatically from the inside out. Not too many years ago, a newspaper carried a story of a man by the name of Al Johnson who was living in Kansas at the time. Al Johnson repented of his sins and came to saving faith gloriously in the Lord Jesus Christ. And when Jesus entered his heart, it turned Al Johnson around. What made his story so remarkable, though, was not his conversion experience. It was the fact that his newfound faith in Christ forced him to do some things that most people would never do. You see, years ago, Al Johnson had robbed a bank as a 19-year-old. And because the statute of limitations had expired, he couldn't be prosecuted for that robbery any longer. But because of the complete and radical change that occurred in his heart, he not only confessed to that crime, but he also voluntarily repaid his share of the money that was stolen. That's repentance, my friends. That is radical transformation of a life from the inside out when Jesus comes in to change us. Folks may read that story about Al Johnson and scratch their heads and wonder why in the world somebody would do something so crazy as that and admit to something that had happened years earlier. We know the answer to that. We know the reason he confessed was Jesus. Because Jesus is the upward answer to the outward needs of the world. And when he is placed within us, that inward drive, we cannot remain silent. We cannot stop. We cannot quit. Shall we pray? God, we know it wasn't easy for the prophets in the Old Testament like Jeremiah, and it's not easy for missionaries today serving in in faraway lands, especially in dark countries where Christians are are persecuted for their faith. It's not easy for Daniel and Skye to be away from home and family when a grandfather dies and they can't be home to grieve with those they love. And yet even then, you surround them with a family right where they are, with folks in Africa who will come and sit with them and grieve with them. Father, you promised that if we give up home and family that you will supply us a hundredfold. And we begin to see what that means when you surround missionaries like Daniel and Skye with a new family to help them through difficult days. You placed within us a burning fire a passion to tell the world about Jesus. A world that is in such such desperate need, Father, our own nation, forsaking many of the, the foundational principles of morality and truth upon which we were built. And we see destruction heading and could easily be preaching the same message that Jeremiah did 
2,700 years ago. I guess we just haven't learned that much from the mistakes and failures of nations that have preceded us. But help us turn to Thee and let this inward drive meet an outward need with an upward answer. Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, in whose name we pray. Amen. Our invitation on him is number 121, Thou didst leave thy throne. If you have a decision to make public, I'll be at the front to receive you. Professing your faith, rededicating your life. Maybe God's placing on your heart a conviction about missions to pray or give or go. If you need to come forward and pray, whatever decision, talk to us or talk to God. We all